You're listening to the Kings Oahu podcast. We hope today you're inspired, your faith is built up, and that you're encouraged by today's word. The title of my message is We've Come to Worship. We've come to worship. Look at that person next to you and say, I came to worship. I don't know what you came to do, but I came to worship. You know, I kind of just, let me sidestep for a second, because when I, when I read this passage, and we're going to get into the main, the main body of this text, which is, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. But there's something so profound about this passage and, and I know this is stretching, so I'm just, I'm just letting you know, I know this is stretching just a little bit, but can I tell you, I believe there's a spiritual parallel that exists that when Herod, it says, and Herod, Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled and Jerusalem with him. Now, in no way am I saying that Jerusalem is hell, but I am saying this, that when you worship the Lord and when you worship Jesus with all your heart, you trouble hell. And you trouble the devil. Think about what troubled Herod is that they came to worship this new king. They came to worship this new king. That means that there's a declaration. They were making a declaration that there is a new king. Can I tell you, when you worship God, you were saying, devil, you're no longer the king of my life. This world is not the king of my life. Come on, you trouble, you trouble hell every time you worship God. So can I just encourage you? Let's trouble hell a lot this year. All right, I'm off my soapbox. I'm stepping back. I'm stepping back in. I'm glad that excited you. That excited me. I'm glad you're there. I want us to focus this morning on this profound statement that these wise men, these magi, came to worship Jesus. That's what they came for. There was really no other purpose, no other motivation. They came, this statement that they made, for we have come to worship him. That word worship in the Greek, and the reason why this is so important for us to understand, is because it, it shows us really the totality of this word being spoken, the motivation of their heart. The word, the Greek word for that word worship is proskuneo which is profound because it means reverence and honor from a place of respect and awe. It's reverence and honor. They had such reverence and honor for this. They hadn't even met this baby yet. They hadn't even met this king, but yet they had great honor. They came to worship, and, and there are two distinctions that make up the very definition of this word, proskuneo. His position and our posture. Two distinctions that make up this word. His position and our posture. His position, our worship begins with the way we see Jesus. If you don't see Jesus right, you can't worship him right. Are, are, do we see Jesus just as a good man, a wise man, had some good things to say, maybe did a few miracles here and there? Like, who is Jesus to you? Because who Jesus is to you will determine how you worship him. The Bible tells us that Jesus could do little miracles in his hometown. And the revelation is, Jesus says, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. 
The problem wasn't Jesus, that he was depleted of all miracle-working power. The issue is the way they saw him. The way you see Jesus will determine the way you respond to him, the way that you worship him. And so what's imperative in worship is making sure that Jesus has the right position in your life. Is he truly king of kings and lord of lords? Is he the great I am? He's more than just a counselor. He's more than just a friend. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my King. He is the creator of heaven and earth. Now, I'm all about Jesus being my friend. Man, I'm telling you, I, when, I was, when I was a youth pastor, one of, our, one, of the, one of the favorite songs of youth ministry was, Jesus, you are my best friend. Man, when we would sing that. And I, I'm telling you, we had to be careful because the moment we start singing that, people, it like a mosh pit would start happening. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We love, we love seeing Jesus as our best friend, and we should. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now, there's even a celebrity that had a shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. But see, the problem is this. It's indicative of a, of a people, of a generation that has become so desensitized. Indicative of a generation that has become so familiar with Jesus that it's affected their worship. His position in your life will determine the magnitude of your worship. Is he truly king? Is he truly Lord? But you see, his position will also determine our posture. Our posture. How you position yourself. What's interesting is when you begin to look at this word worship and you understand these two distinct aspects of this word proskuneo, you understand it's his position but it also relates to our posture and it means this, to lie prostrate before the Lord. True worship is to posture yourself in a place of humility and the person in the place of honor. One of the word pictures that we see is of someone of great stature, whether it be royalty or whether it be someone of a great position to walk into a room. And in those days, what would happen is the moment a king or a magistrate or someone of great, great value or honor would walk into a room, all of a sudden people would begin to lie prostrate. They'd make themselves low because it was a sign of not just reverence, but a sign of humility. Are you ready for this? It was actually a declaration that I give you power over me. Hold on a second, because a lot of times people don't want to talk about that in worship. We see worship as just a sign or a declaration of appreciation. Bear with me here for a moment. <laughs> this is where we get a little deep. Are you ready? We, we see worship as, hey, this is, a, this is a declaration of appreciation. Lord, thank you. Lord, you're so awesome. You're wonderful. And that's amazing. But can I tell you, worship in those days, in this sense of what the posture that we take is when we would humble ourselves, when we would humble ourselves before the Lord, we actually make this declaration, Lord, you have power and lordship over me. And I truly believe that one of our greatest problems and dilemmas in worship is we're in a fight for posture. And one of the reasons why we never walk in a greater intimacy with God isn't that God doesn't desire 
us to walk in a greater intimacy with him. It's that we're in a battle of posture with him. We're posturing ourselves with God. It's a battle of lordship. It's a battle of power. But in those days, that word worship, the word picture is that I put such great value and honor on that person that I actually give them power over me. The very word Lord is a distinction of power and rule. Is Jesus really your ruler or your advisor? Is he your Lord or just your buddy? How you see Jesus will determine how you worship him. I want you to think about the revelation that these wise men got, that they say we would come, we've come to worship this king. They didn't even know exactly who he was, but they knew the magnitude of his glory. And they came to worship him. I've come to worship. This, To me, this story is so profound because we see in this story the extravagance of their worship. The extravagance of these magi, these wise men, their, the extravagance of their worship. And can I, can I just say this? The extravagance of their worship was marked by three distinct acts. I want you to write these down. The extravagance of their worship. Think about the extravagance of their worship. Have you ever... Look, we just got done with Christmas. Has anyone here ever gotten an extravagant gift? Like you received an extravagant gift where you actually felt embarrassed? You're like, uh, this is huge. Man, that, can I tell you, there have been moments in my life I've gotten blessed. And I'm just like, uh, 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 I don't even know how to respond because this is so extravagant. It was almost embarrassing. Like, my goodness. That's the type of worship that I want to give Jesus. This story is marked by three acts of extravagance. The first act of extravagance that we see was the extravagance of their journey. The extravagance of their journey. Everybody say it with me. The what? The extravagance of their The Bible explains to us that they came from afar. Now, I think that was intentional, that was deliberate, that was important to the story. They came from far off. And what's so powerful with this story is they did not consider the journey as an inconvenience, but rather a privilege. We get to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They didn't see it as a problem. They were like, man, I, man we got to go all the way out there. First of all, when they started following the star, they didn't really even know where the star was going to lead them. They were ready for the journey. They said, we're just, we're just going. They didn't even really know where the star was going to lead them until they saw Herod. Isn't that interesting? But yet they followed the star. It wasn't an inconvenience. It was a privilege. It was an honor. Who are we that we actually get this revelation, that we get to see the creator of heaven and earth? Wow. Isn't that powerful? You know, when I was a kid, 
when I was a kid, I, I, I loved going to my grandparents' house. They lived in Paradise, California, and they lived, can I tell you, they lived in the forest. They were surrounded by trees. They lived in the forest, beautiful, beautiful place. I think their closest neighbor was like the forest ranger, right? So they lived way out in the forest, and I loved going to their house because, man, we would eat walnuts all day, and my grandpa, he would, like, he would like get the walnuts, and he, he had, like, this little trap thing that he'd get squirrels, and then the squirrels would go in there, and they'd eat the walnuts, and they'd have fun, and we'd watch the, the squirrels with binoculars, and it was so much fun, and we'd cut down trees, and we'd shoot stuff with BB guns. It's the best. It was the best, right? And we'd go motor. My, my grandpa had a motorcycle for me, and we'd go dirt biking all around Paradise, California. It was so much fun, and I loved it, and I loved my grandparents. And so can I tell you, I never, ever, ever saw the length of the journey as something that was an inconvenience. As a matter of fact, it was exciting to me because I knew where I was headed. The journey was so exciting because I knew where I was going. It wasn't an inconvenience. It was a privilege. It was going to be awesome. It was going to be amazing. But yeah, you know what's interesting is five minutes from my house is there's this place that I dread going. It's only five minutes from my house. And every time I've got to go there. I start twitching every time I, I go there. Even when I drive by, I start, I start going like that. It's just like, it, it's one of those places where it just brings up fear and dread in my life. And it's only five minutes from my house. It's called the dentist. <laughs> Isn't it interesting where I, I, I would enjoy a journey that was hours. Sometimes it took a day, all day, to get to my grandparents' house. But there's a place that i got to go five minutes from my house that I don't want to go. It's a place of dread and fear. Hmm. Worship makes the journey worth it. See, their journey was an act of extravagance. They didn't mind the journey. Because to them, the worship was worth the journey. Can I, can I just encourage you, especially for those who are here on January 1st, and we were up late last night, whether it was our decision or not, and uh, people, people were blowing off fireworks all night long, and it was intense. Can I tell you right now, when you put that key in the ignition, or for some of you, when you push the start button to your car, and you got on that highway, and you came to church. It was worship unto the Lord. It was extravagance. We, we have people in this congregation today that drove all the way from Wainai, from Mililani. It's worship. It's worship. Extravagance. The second extravagant act that we see in this scripture that's so profound to me is also the extravagance of gifts. Their gifts were a declaration of who, are you ready for this? Their gifts were a declaration of who Jesus would be, but also what Jesus meant to them. Can I tell you, every time you serve, every time you give, every time you worship, it is a declaration of who Jesus is, who you see Jesus to be, and who he is to you. The gold, this is profound, the gold represented Jesus' kingship. Now, they, they, don't, they probably didn't even know these things. I don't know. I don't know if they had a revelation of these things or not. 
But what we see in Scripture is we see obviously some obvious points. The gold represented Jesus' kingship. The frankincense symbolized his role as a priest. And the myrrh alluded to his death. But there's some profound parallels that we see throughout Scripture concerning these incredible gifts. That I, I don't know. I don't know if the wise men could truly understand the full magnitude of what they brought to Jesus. Can I, can I just say this? Because I, I want to encourage you this morning. I think oftentimes we don't truly understand the full magnitude of that which we bring to Jesus. The full magnitude when you serve. The full magnitude of when you worship. The full magnitude of when you give. I don't think we can fully understand. I mean, let, let me just give you some parallels of what I, what I mean by this. You see, when they brought gold before Jesus, I don't know if they really truly realized that gold would be a sign of his divinity. That many theologians associate the gift of gold that these magi brought to Jesus as a prophetic fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant being overlaid in gold. What were they saying is that Jesus would be the fulfillment of covenant, that God would restore to his people, that Jesus would be the living embodiment of God's presence, unadulterated presence. This parallel of the Ark of the Covenant in Jesus, that's profound to me. Frankincense. Frankincense was used in worship. They would bring, they would put in frankincense and they would burn these, these fragrances as a sign of worship. The symbol of Christ being the sacrifice for our sins. I don't know if the wise men could ever imagine that myrrh would be a prophetic gift. That in Mark chapter 15, 23, as Jesus was on the cross, the soldiers would offer him something called gall. And just the soldiers offering Jesus gall was a fulfillment of a prophetic word spoken of Jesus as he would be on the cross. But I, I couldn't imagine the wise men truly understanding that that gall was a mixture of wine and myrrh. See, sometimes we don't understand the true depth and magnitude of our worship. Friends, can I tell you, your worship, your serving, your giving goes far beyond anything you could ever even imagine. Sometimes we, we battle with the measurement of saying, well, Pastor, I, I, it, was, it doesn't really mean that much. It wasn't that big of a deal. No, I don't think you truly understand how big of a deal it really is. Don't underestimate the power of your worship, the significance of your worship. Well, Pastor, that was just one song, and I barely knew the words. Don't underestimate the magnitude and the significance of your serving and of your giving and of your worship. Too often we don't understand the depth of our declaration of worship. But we see very clearly these two acts, the extravagance of their journey, the extravagance of their gifts. But last one, are you ready for this? The extravagance of their motives. The extravagance of their motives. There was a girl. <laughs> there was a young girl who lost her, her dog. And she was, she was devastated. She put up signs 
all over town, offering a great reward to whoever finds her dog. One day a young boy <laughs> took notice of this sign and decided, hey, I'm going to join the search. And here's this young boy and this young girl searching for this dog. As, as they search for the dog, the young girl continued to say over and over and over, I hope I find my dog. I hope I find my dog. I miss her so much. I can't wait to hold her in my arms. If the young boy would run around frantic, saying, I hope I find this dog. I hope I find this dog. I could really use the reward money. We see the stark difference, not in the intensity of the seek. I'll say this again. We see the stark difference, not in the intensity of the seek. The intensity of the boy and the intensity of the girl were the same. <laughs> but rather the difference in motives. A boy feverishly searching for a reward and a young girl feverishly searching for her dog out of relationship. Can I be honest with you, this passage made me put into question sometimes my motives. Why do I do what I do? Why do I do what I do? What's my why? Why do I worship the way I worship? Why do I serve? Why do I give? Why do I love? Why do I, why do, I do what I do? And I think all of us, sometimes in our life, we have to confront the motivation of relationships, the motivation of why we do certain things. And what's so profound to me about this passage is we see very clearly the motivation of these wise men. They say this, I've come to worship him. They didn't come so that hopefully Jesus would put them on his council or Jesus would make up a part of, of his, his kingdom. They said all we did was come to worship. We, we came an extravagant journey, brought extravagant gifts just so that we could worship. That's the motivation. This passage challenges the motivation of worship. Now, can I just preface this? I want, I want you to hear this. I truly believe in the principle of sowing and reaping. I believe in the principles of the word of God, that given it shall be given you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and the measure you use it will be measured back to you. That's a principle of the word of God. The principle of sowing and reaping, whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. And I believe that. I believe that there's a place of faith in our life. But can I, can I encourage you that I think too often that motivation has become the fuel in our worship and in our serving and in our giving. Where God wants us to serve and worship and give whether we get anything back or not. Because is worship truly worship if you're doing it for your own gain? And I got so encouraged by this, it led me to Jeremiah 29, 13. What, a, what, what an incredible reminder. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And he says, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You will seek me and find me when you seek with me. Seek for me with all your heart. If we look at Hebrews 11, many of us know this passage. You've heard it many, many, many times. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There it is, Pastor. You see it right there. The Bible says that God rewards those who seek him. But we have to be mindful of, and let's keep the reward in the context. The scripture is saying that the greatest reward we can receive, the reward is not greater money. The reward is not greater power. The reward is a relationship with God. Jesus is the reward. Jesus is the reward. Out of a relationship with Jesus is where wisdom flows, is where strength comes from, is where, 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 where power and peace comes from. It all comes from a relationship with him. Our calling is derived from him. Everything comes from a relationship with him. He is the ultimate reward. Lord, I need your help because my motivations are off sometimes. And sometimes I worship and be like, okay, Lord, I worshiped you for 20 minutes. What you got? There's been many times where I've, I've given and I'm looking at that bucket going, whoa, I just gave a lot. Lord, what are you going to give me in return? There's been many times I've served. I said, Lord, do you remember that time where I served and I did this and I did that? And I'm reminding God of all the things that I did. And, and the worst part about it is I've lost the true essence of the why I did what I did. And really it was for him. And I've made worship and giving and serving more about me than about story confronts some of those areas in my life. We've come to worship him. Many times we don't get the gain, the recognition, the favor, the position that we want. So we throw up our hands while I'm fine then. If they're not going to, Pastor Josh isn't going to give me that position, I'm out. God didn't come through and give me that miracle I wanted, I'm out. But yet what if we changed our heart? What if we changed in 2023 the motivation of our life? They didn't ask to be a part of the king's court. They just came to worship. You know, the pagans, <laughs> the pagans believed that worship fueled their God's existence. Pagans actually believed that their worship fueled their God's existence, that if they stopped worshiping, then their gods would cease to exist, that they have to worship, and the more that they worship, the stronger that their gods got, and so their worship actually fueled their God's existence, but the problem is this, our God exists despite our worship. Our God's, our God's existence is not dependent upon our worship. I would even say this, the very opposite is true. Our existence is fueled by our worship to him. Our existence is fueled by our worship unto him. I was, I was, I don't know, I don't know if it's because I'm Italian or what it is, but TBN did this, this Christmas special called the, the Bocelli Christmas. And they took Andrea Bocelli and they, and they had a Christmas with the family. And it, how many of you guys saw that, the Bocelli Christmas? It was, oh, you need to watch it. It was awesome. 
I just, maybe it's, Andrea Bocelli is, is one of the, the best opera singers on the planet. One of the greatest tenors to ever live. And he's amazing. And he's blind. He's been blind since he was 12 years old. And he can play like 20 instruments. He's ridiculous. Like irritating ridiculous. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I remember when Pastor Milo was, was coming, when Pastor Milo was coming to, to Oahu and I'm watching, there's all these YouTube things, and he's in there playing the guitar, and he's singing, he's playing the acoustic, he's playing the electric, and he's playing the drums, he's playing the bass, and I'm so impressed, and the piano, and, and he's like, he's like an expert at all the instruments, right? I'm like, man, this guy's amazing. Man, this guy, wow, I, I was in awe of him, and then all of a sudden I started hating him. Like, I was super impressed. Like, initially I was impressed, and then all of a sudden I see this video of him playing the violin, and I'm like, I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> but you know, here's, <laughs> that was a joke. I love Pastor Milo. Some of you guys are like, man, there's some real deep things, deep, some <laughs> deep-rooted things going on here. Andrea Bocelli is one of the best of the best. He's amazing, one of the greatest opera singers that have ever, has ever existed. And they're doing this interview with his family. And they ask Andrea a very interesting question. They say, how has your faith changed you? How has your, Andrea, how has your faith changed you? And can I tell you, I was in awe by the response. He said, faith hasn't changed me. It's created me. It is the bedrock of my very existence. And I was, I was, I was like, preach, preach, preach. I was like, I about fell out. I was, I, I was, because I realized something. My worship doesn't create God. Every time I worship, I'm being created in Him. He's, He's changing. He's altering the very bedrock of my life. My existence is dependent upon my relationship with him. I've come to worship. Can you imagine what 2023 will look like if we took hold of this statement, I've come to worship? If our motives got back in line, as Lord, I've come to worship. And everything that I am, everything that I do, Lord, it's, I've come to to worship, and we make our very existence about worshiping. Instead of it being a drudgery or an inconvenience, it's an honor and a privilege that we actually get audience. You ever, you ever met those name droppers? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I know this celebrity, and I know that celebrity, and I know this, and you're like, oh, you're so impressed by who they know. We have audience with the maker of heaven and earth. There's no greater celebrity in all the universe. Can I tell you something? Friends, we get to worship him. It's a privilege. Instead of seeing the journey as drudgery, it's a privilege. Come on, instead of seeing those moments of serving and giving and worshiping as a drudgery, it's a privilege. I get to give. I get to worship. I get to serve. Come on, somebody. And we deal with the motivations around. Can you imagine what 2023 is going to look like if we adopt this declaration? I've come in everything we do and everything that we are. I've come to worship him. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And for more great content, go to kcoahu.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.